0: We say the most unqualified employees in any company are the person who just got a promotion. You just gave someone a promotion based on the skills in their last job. How do you know they could do this job? You don't. So for a period of time, they're unqualified for their job. And, and it's And it's our job as leaders to help ramp them up and upskill them to a point where they are contributing to the organization in that job and not draining the organization in that job.
1: Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartivera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're also excited to announce that we're now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And we're so looking forward to being this network of fascinating, intriguing, impactful podcasts and their amazing hosts and looking forward to spreading our message and our impact through the Evergreen Network. Today we have Carl Gould with us, and Carl is a fascinating leader. He has a worldwide authority on business and entrepreneurship. His company, Seven Stage Advisors, has helped thousands of organizations grow to the next level. And today, we're going to talk about growth. Today, we're going to talk about professional growth, which is, of course, always fueled by personal growth. Carl's going to share the seven stages of business growth. He's going to talk about the four quadrants for business leaders. And most importantly, he's going to talk about the role of blind spots for leaders and business owners, identifying them, learning and understanding them and moving past them. It's gonna be a fascinating conversation about leadership, entrepreneurship and business growth, leaving you with a blueprint to grow yourself, your leadership and your business. We're excited to be back here. We have a fascinating guest today. And as you're going to hear from Carl Gould today, he has, in his own words, run the gamut in terms of (laughs) not only building businesses, but also mentoring, coaching, helping other leaders build their businesses. He's a worldwide authority on business, entrepreneurship, keynote speaker, author, coach. His company is called Seven Stage Advisors, and they help organizations grow to the next level. As an entrepreneur himself, he has built three multi-million-dollar businesses all by the age of forty, and Seven Stage Advisors has mentored the launch of over five thousand businesses. Some of the larger companies you may have heard of—he's he's helped and worked with Allstate, American Idol, U.S. Olympic U.S. Olympic Track, IBM, McGraw Hill, U.S. Army. He is mentor to businesses around the world. And has he has trained, certified, or accredited over seven thousand business coaches or mentors since two thousand two. Hmm. And as an author, he's written multiple books, but uh, he co-authored a book called Blueprint for Success with Stephen Covey and Ken Blanchard. He also has a best-selling book called The Seven Stages of Small Business Success, and lays out a formula for what he calls hyper growth. So, welcome, Carl. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate yeah. it. Glad to have you. So, Carl, give everybody a little bit of the Carl Gould backstory. <laughs> All right. The backstory,
0: you know, it's getting longer and longer. I, as I, say, you know, that's my way of saying I'm getting older and older, I guess. But um, I grew up in New Jersey. I'm part of a large family. Um, went to a went to school uh, at the University of Delaware for um, accounting and finance. Had a pretty bad leg injury when i was in college and i had to leave school my second year um i knew how to do two things i don't even know if i knew how to do them well but i knew how to do two things and that was to make money one was landscaping and one was well one was construction because i grew up in those industries Hmm. so i had a a landscape business i don't do many things well in my life i think that was one of the ones i was told i did well Hmm. i grew that business um and sold that business in 1992 um, I then, uh, from 85 to 92, I had those two, that business 92, I had a construction company and I sold that in 2004, um, you know, and, um, uh, you know, I wasn't passionate about either business. They were both successful. They did really well. But in 1990, I, I went to a personal development seminar and learned about the science of peak performance mm-hmm. and what was an up and coming, uh, industry called coaching <laughs> and coaching. And I loved it. I was a basketball coach at the time. I uh, coached basketball for 12 seasons and I'm like, wow, personal, professional leadership coaching. This is tremendous. And I fell in love with the idea of helping people design and go after their goals. But then I found out that it's a real science to get them to get motivated and stay motivated to go after those goals. Like I yeah. thought, I thought my work was done. I'm like, okay, everybody, I can Elvis has left the building. I've helped you create your goals. Now you're just going to go crush it, obviously. And then when they didn't, I said, well, which part of doing this each day for 90 minutes did you not get? And I realized that, you know what, there's a lot more to this than meets the eye. And I realized just how, how much of a challenge the skill of influence is and how it applies to coaching and mentoring and training and, and speaking and all that. So I became fascinated in it and I got every certification under the sun. And I remember one of my colleagues was like, what certification do you not have? You know, are you are you not a uh, I don't know, come up with some funny certification. But um, I had every certification you can think of in the coaching world, the mentoring world, teleconference training, leadership, development, human needs, psychology, intervention, neurolinguistics, programming, behavioral psychometric sciences you know, axiology, you name it.
2: I had a certification in it. So out of all those, Carl, what actually helped you the most in contacting the real world of human beings? Right. Well, in the beginning, it was Neuro Linguistics Programming or NLP. That
0: at the time was the primary peak performance science. And it was the easiest one to, it was the easiest one to translate from theory into practice because it's essentially... Um, if you understand everybody, everyone's five senses, how they work, how they take in information, how they, how they mix it around and through all their filters, and then they send it out to the real world. Three of those five are observable. So, Mm. you know, your visual auditory and kinesthetic senses, I can observe them. And if I understand what the, if I understand how to read the signs, I can tell where you are processing, where you might be held up, where you might be inventing and creating versus remembering. I can understand those things. And then that will help me with where your blockages might be. And then the second one was DISC. You know, DISC theory, um, originally um, popularized by um, Dr. William Moulton Marston. Uh, that is an observable behavioral uh, model And between those two, if I can observe you, I can understand what's going on. And if I know your strength, there's a corresponding blind spot. Once I can find my way there with two questions, I can get to anyone's blind spot with 95% accuracy. I get to your blind spot. We're game on. Coaching can begin. (laughs) All
1: right. So, Carl, um, let me make sure we're caught up. So you had the landscaping business. You sold that, I think, in um, 92. 92. Started the construction business, you sold in 2004. It sounds like you got into coaching during that time as well. So you're building a right. construction business, doing coaching. What's What's been happening for you in the business world since 04?
0: Yeah, so, um, well, uh, a little bit on on that time period. Thanks for bringing me back there because what I learned, I wish I knew then it was gonna become my secret sauce and my differentiator, but I did it out of convenience, so at the time, I became certified in all types of coaching, right? So whenever you heard a guru talk about their home study course, work with, work with me and my coaching team, I was that guy. I was that certified coach. And, but I was running a construction company. So I could not take clients between nine to five. So I said, give me all your international clients, and they're like, "Oh, do you have an interest in international?" I'm no, I just can't coach between nine and five. So give me your European and Middle Eastern and African clients. I can coach them from three a.m. to nine a.m. Eastern time. And then then I went and said, "Give me all of your New Zealand, Australian clients." And I'm like, "Well, don't you want anyone in China?" I'm like, "No, I can't do the time zone difference." But Australia and New Zealand is anywhere from thirteen to sixteen hours ahead. And in the afternoon, it's the next day for them. So I can coach them. So I built this big presence everywhere else in the world, except for my hometown. <laughs> then next came West Coast clients. And then it took a while. So that, to your point, uh, getting back to 2004, when I went out on my own and, and I, I built a practice during the 90s, you know, if there was such a thing as the gig economy or, um, you know, a hashtag. Um, I was hashtag the gig coach at the time, and uh, in 2002, though I started the business that I have today, which is Seven Stage Advisors. And then, once I was no longer in the construction businesses full time, we then did two things: we trained people on our methodology to become coaches, and we coached uh, um, leaders of small, mid size and even Fortune 500 companies. Um, and we then it, you started working domestically.
1: So seven, so seven stage advisors is um I'm sure it's still evolving, but that was that was the the amalgamation of all of that prior experience, all of that prior right. certification. You brought it together. And as I hear you say, for the last at least 17 years plus, you've been advising companies, but also uh training and certifying coaches to do the same for companies. Right,
0: right. So the so the, the things that happened was um Uh, during the 90s, I was not satisfied with the with the tools that were there to build a um there were tools that were there to build a coaching business. And here's how I came to the realization I wanted to be in the coaching business. And then it turned out to be uh uh turned out to be the reason why I got into into business. So if I may diverge for just a second, I have my construction company working my ass off. I'm driving my truck full of materials up to an appointment and I'm driving up route 80 in New Jersey. Everyone knows how busy route 80 is. And all of a sudden a part on my truck breaks and I'm in the right lane. It was the U joint on the drive train for all of you here heads on the drive shaft, but on my truck, it had broken before. I always actually carried an extra one. I knew (laughs) what the problem was as soon as it happens. And so Now imagine this: I'm in the right-hand lane on Route 80. People are screaming by me. I'm in this little dump truck. As the car is start, the truck is starting to roll to a a stop, and I'm not going to make it off the ramp. I jump out, and I'm pushing the car while it's still truck while it's still rolling, and I get it like this far over the white line into the shoulder. And I jump back in. Emergency brake on. Chock the wheels, and I'm inside by a couple of inches. And I'm like. can't believe I did this. Well, there goes that appointment. I'm not going to make it now. I called the service station where that works on the cars. His name is Sal. I say Sal and Vinny. I'm like Sal Vinny. I'm broke down side of the road. You know, it's the U joint. I already looked underneath. It's, it's the drive shaft. If one of you guys can come out here and help me get this drive shaft back on, I can get home. And they're like, all right, road call. They, you need anything else. I'm like, yes, it's 95 degrees. Can you just bring some water? Just so grab a gallon of water. I'm dying out here. So there I am thinking about like, what the hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, 95 degrees. No one else cares. It's Friday afternoon in the summer. And I'm pushing my truck to the side of the road because I'm screaming to try to get to an appointment. This is nuts. There's got to be a better way. So Vinny gets there. And I've known Vinny for a while. Great guys. They're, they, he looks underneath. He's like, yep, that's the drivetrain. Gets all the tools out. And, and he go, so we climb under the truck. I chug half a gallon of water. I'm laying under the truck, holding the drive shaft up, which is just a light cylinder. If you know what, what that is, it's just underneath the truck. If you look under a car when it's driving by, there's something spinning. That's the drive shaft. So he's like, hold it up. I'll bolt it on. So I said, okay. So I hold it up. I'm holding it up. And all of a sudden, I hear this sound, this hissing sound like, Shh. and I, at first I thought, am I getting a flat tire? I look, no flat tire. Vinny all of a sudden jumps out from under the, under the, underneath the truck. I'm holding the drive shaft. I can't move. He's like, Carl, get out from under the truck. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. I'm holding the drive shaft. It'll hit me in the head. He's like, don't worry. It's too late anyway. I look to the right and a line painting truck is coming up the shoulder, painting the white line that <laughs> my head is four inches away from on the side of Route 80. It sprays paints a white stripe over my head and I'm holding the drive shaft. And I said, that's it. This is my last day. That's wow. it. I'm done. And I realized on that day, I said, you know what? I've been thinking for years. Construction is just not my passion. This is the last draw." It was funny. Like you go home and like, imagine you painted your, like you
2: painted your hair. Yeah, right? I've never heard a story like that before. That's that's.
0: Unique. And so <laughs> that was the day where I said, that's it. I got to follow my passion. My passion was coaching. I knew I'd been doing it for seven years at this point. I was loving it. You know, I was working with Tony Robbins and Stephen Covey and Ken Blanchard, situational leadership. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I was doing disc assessments, NLP, all the stuff. And I was having a blast from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. I start from 5 p.m. to 9 a.m., but I wasn't having a blast from 9 to 5, right? And so um, I said, I, I made a decision on that day. I'm going to start my own coaching company. So I started certifying coaches in my methodology. And since 2002 through present, we have trained, accredited, franchised, uh, um, or certified in one way, shape, or form about 7,000 coaches worldwide. Meanwhile, I was just running my practice. So that's where I've been since 2002. I was continue my path of development, but at the same time, I've been training people um and and our model can be used for life coaching or business coaching but it's mostly focused on how you grow your the professional side of your life as a person and as a business
1: so the seven st- you said earlier you're looking for that secret sauce it sounds like seven Correct. stages is the secret sauce
0: it is the secret sauce
1: yeah so so let's let's take a walk through it um let why not it might be helpful name the just name the seven stages for us and then we'll take a look at each one of them and go a little deeper. Sure,
0: I came to the seven-stage uh, growth model studying under some organizational leadership gurus. But what I was doing at the time, the one thing that was consistent in coaching at the time was everyone was using the DISC assessment. You know, the dominant, influencers, uh, supportive, and compliant quadrants of your personality type, your behavioral style. And as I was debriefing those in the '90s, I realized that. There was a corresponding business function to your personality type. So if you were a leader that was really dominant, guess what? You had a dominant type business or leadership style. If you were an influencer type person, that's how you led. If you were a supportive person, that's how you led. If you were a compliant analytical type, that's how you led, and the business responded accordingly. So what I did was I wrote a a, 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 a profile or a personality assessment if you will of a business as if it were a person and the seven stages was based on was based on that and so um, and so in each stage there's certain quadrants you focus on and we found that that reduces friction and allows you to grow as a person as a leader and also as a business to the to the the quickest way possible all right and that's what our clients at the end of the day that's all they cared about help me grow let's move the obstacles you know, let's go. And so stage one is what we call the strategic planning stage. That's where you get the great ideas out of your head and onto paper. And when you, and when you, um, the implication of stage one is that you have a compelling and inspiring strategic plan. In other words, if your plan's boring, you're going to have a boring business. You're going to have a boring life. We need an inspiring plan. Stage two is the specialty stage. All right. You get your first client. You're off to the races. You're now in stage two by by definition. And then the specialty stage, we say an authority or an expert is born. You need to be the sharpest tool in the shed in
2: whatever it is you do. You need to be an expert. So according to what Kiyosaki would say, that would be the self-employed side. Yes, you're right, because you are still self-employed. A
0: great one. The cash flow quadrant. Love that. The, in the self-employment side, you are an owner operator. And in the book, I talk about the Rolling Stones. The mm-hmm. Rolling Stones are a stage two business, right? If we all went to go see Joey, Joey and the Mashed Potatoes and they were singing the Rolling Stones song, eh, we're probably not filling a big football arena. But if Mick and the boys decide to go back out on tour now after after they lost their drummer, you know, they'd still be the Rolling Stones and they got to get on stage. If it's not them. It's not the same, you know? Right. Um, uh, so, yeah, if that's a great distinction. Now, stage two is a great place to be when you love what you do. You know, you're podcasters in this part of your business. It's that that's a stage two part of your business because you're that owner operator, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, stage two is going really well. People love your content. They love what's going on. You're in demand. You've priced yourself accordingly. Now you want to go to stage three. You need more implementation partners. I need other people, elbow to elbow, that are going to help me get the job done. That's called the synergy stage. That's where we're building our implementation team, okay? Now, stage three is interesting because you're still in growth mode, but you're not in scale mode. And right. then there's if you look at our if you look at the model, you'll see this jagged line between three and four. We call that the graveyard of small businesses. <laughs> I, I, right? I have
2: felt that and I'm feeling it right now.
0: Yeah, yes. right on. Because you know what's coming. Stage four is the systems stage, and the systems stage is where you decide on the ecosystem. What kind of business do you want to be? Apple, as an example, um, is is a very deliberate stage four business. They're a closed ecosystem. You have to, you know, you have to pay your toll to get through the door. They're not an open source system like Google or Microsoft is. Uh, Apple very much says we are Apple designed here. You play by our rules and they they can and they're bigger than seven, than stage seven companies. So um, so then you go to stage five. Stage five is the sustainability stage. Now, everyone here listening, pay close attention to stage five because this is the most desired stage everybody asks for when I meet them, wherever you are because stage 5 is when you start to scale. All right? Systems in place, right people, they're all fired up about your mission, vision, values, purpose, they're all, you know, and and you're an expert in the industry, you want to scale. So stage 5 is the sustainability stage, and that's when we say a franchise is born. Right? You don't have to be a legal franchise, but you you can now do multiple locations, multiple products, you know, multiple price points, you name it. Multiple service lines this is
2: the time to scale. So as Michael Gerber would say, that's the franchise format business. Correct, the franchise yeah. format business, great, you know. So all about pies is no
0: longer about you're <laughs> not making the pies anymore. You got that system right. for, for all about pies, right? Yep. And so as a matter of fact, you bring up a great point, uh, Craig, because the, you know you're a stage five business when you are known for something other than your, the utility of your core product and service. Okay, So think about the implication for that for a moment. There are two great books written about Starbucks. Uh, I think Joseph Michelli was the author and he wrote one was called the Star uh, the, the Starbucks experience. And the other one was, it's not about the bean. <laughs> right. And in the second book, the, the beginning of the book gets into depth that says we're not in the coffee business. That's the utilitarian part of our business. We can't win that game. It's a commodity game. We're in the experience business. Right. And so, I mean, think about it. When was the last time that Starbucks was accused of good coffee? Right. You know, really accused like hold. Hey, you guys. Right. The but they're more known for the experience, the location. It's the third home. You know, it's their home office and they are the lounge you come to. It's the ambiance, you know, McDonald's is not the greatest hamburger story in history. They're the greatest real estate story in history. So they're known for something other than their core product and service. That's when you're a stage five company. That in the state, in the seven stages, sequence matters. Violate the sequence, you'll be punished. That's what we learned over the last 32 years and hundreds of thousands of businesses and and leaders that we have coached is you got to take these in sequence. You can't buy your way past any one because one builds on the other. Now we go to stage six. Stage six is the saleability stage. Here's where an asset is born. An asset is born because it's kind of like stage three. You're building a team, but on steroids, you're now building your management team. So you can step out of the day-to-day activity mm-hmm. right now. And, and, and this is the company. Cause if you sell, what is one of the first things the buyer wants to know? Who's the managers. If you're leaving founder, who's going to run this thing when you're gone? Is it all
2: about you? Or is it's all about them. Yeah. And if it's all about you. And are they already running it or is there going to be a big shift? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to
0: buy the company and then I have to train them. They've okay. been running it for a while. Yeah. You know, and the three areas you want to make sure that you've got you've got settled in are uh, lead generation, marketing, sales, generating revenue and fulfillment. Those three you can. We're in the age of where you could buy a CFO. So yeah, it'd be great if you had a CFO, but those can be outsourced. And that's a really mature, well-trained market that if you outsourced, you'd be okay there. But internally, you have to have those three. Who brings in the leads? Who turns them into sales? Who fulfills the order? You got those three. Without you, you have a saleable business, okay? And then stage seven, so so stage five would be think of any franchise as an easy example. Stage six would be a company that grows by IPO or selling or merging or, or, or acquiring or rolling up. Uh, So companies like Facebook and Amazon and Uber and waste management back in the day, they rolled up all of these waste management companies across the country to create one mega waste management company. That's a stage six business. Um, And any size company can do it. I'm just giving you some examples you'd understand or know of. Mm -hmm. And then there's stage seven. Stage seven is the succession stage. And this is when a legacy business is born. You're firing on all cylinders and listen up tight again. This is the second most requested stage because you get to fire employee number one. Guess who that is?
2: (laughs) It's the greatest day. We want to exit
0: ourselves. That's right. It's time to to build a new uh, business. Of course. And, And we have that team in place. I can sell a business outright. I can retain part of the business and still have a little bit of an annuity, but in either case, you don't need me. I'm the visionary. Maybe I sit on the board. Maybe I'm the ambassador for the brand, but I can go do the next thing, whatever that next thing is, right? You have options. You've got a ton of them. As a matter of fact, I write in the book about a very small ice cream shop in Riverdale, New Jersey, tiny little shop (laughs) started in 1958. That is a stage seven business is I think fourth generation uh, owner wow. and nobody cares who owns it. Nobody cares who runs it, but it's a great experience. It's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a good ice cream. I don't know. I've eaten it for 40 years. It can't be that bad. And people line up people with classic cars and Harley's come, And it's, it's an experience to even stand online. It's brilliant. I grew up in a town with huh. 1200 people in it and you can have a stage seven business in a tiny little town like that. So it's not about size. Uh, but I mentioned yeah. Apple at stage 4, Microsoft is a stage 7 business because they're a licensed model, they're an open platform, and when Bill Gates and when Bill Gates announced he was leaving the day-to-day management of of uh, Microsoft, the stock went up. When <laughs> when Steve Jobs and you know was was moving out because of health problems, price of the stock initially yeah. went down. They've recovered, but it was very yeah. much tied to Steve Jobs at the time. So so those are each of the seven stages. You go through them in in succession, and sequence matters.
2: They totally make sense. i've I've seen it go in in this order. Um I did, haven't necessarily had the names for each one, but have experienced many of them and have seen mm-hmm. or been part of that in some of the larger companies I've worked with as well.
1: Sure. So Carl, this They're is good. this is as you laid out we talked about in the introduction. This is the blueprint, right? Um, exactly, But the yeah. blueprint is, is, lays it out, it doesn't achieve it, right? So yeah, that is otherwise, true. Every bit, you said secret sauce, so the business owner says, oh, I got this now, thanks, I appreciate it, thanks for having me, I'm gonna go create this. What are some of the, I mean, there's lots of layers, but talk about what are some of the key foundations that help companies actually achieve these stages?
0: Yeah. So it's especially, so stages one through three are growth stages. Stages four through seven are scale uh, stages. And there's a big difference between the two, because in the scaling stages of four through seven, you don't need the owner day to day. You need the owner and founder no. for certain things, but certainly not for day-to-day activities. Whereas one in stages one through three, it's actually important that the company attaches itself to the owner their reason, their why, their vision, you know, because you have to get people to work for you when there aren't a lot of systems and you have to have them buy into your vision. So it's really important those, those two distinctions. But the the challenge is this, we need to attach the business to the vision of the owner and all the quirkiness and brilliance of the owner and founder in the beginning. Then the owner has to be willing to let go give up some control, Mm -hmm. and allow their team to shine. And when it comes to scaling a business, the business, even with growth to a certain degree, the business will only grow to the vision and the identity of the owner. And if the business ever outpaces the owner, the owner will sabotage the business and bring it down to what the owner believes it is or should be or
2: deserves to be. It's funny, we talk about you, you You can't grow a business bigger than you. That's right. So we say the two most unqualified
0: employees in any company are, number one, <laughs> the person who just got a promotion. You just gave someone a promotion <laughs> yeah. based on the skills in their last job. How do you know they can do right. this job? You don't. So for a period of time, they're unqualified for their job. and and it's And it's our job as leaders to help ramp them up and upskill them. To a point where they are contributing to the organization in that job and not draining the organization
2: in that job. So that's number one. It seems that if we're doing our job well as leaders, we're preparing them for the next job at all times, that we're growing our people so that they are ready to take on that new job when they get there. Yes. I would give you one caveat though. When you okay. are about, if you are, if someone there's,
0: in the, if we were to categorize each of the employees in the company as either a producer or a manager,
2: mm-hmm.
0: okay. Right. People oriented. I, 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 get things done through others versus I get things done on my own. The, one of the biggest mistakes we see is turning a producer into a manager right yep. now, not some producers can make are really managers, you know, in a producer, you know, role right now. And they'll right. and they'll absolutely step up and grow to it. And can anyone do it? hundred percent. Producers, oftentimes, and you see this a lot in the sales role, you take a high flying sales producer and you right. say, oh, you're crushing it, you know, Jane or John. And they're like, yeah, I'd love to run this <laughs> department someday. And you're like, cool, we're making you manager. And the day you take away the instant gratification of doing the job, they're like, well, what do you mean? I don't get to close deals. Well, you're managing now. You got to get That lot to go close deals. Well, that lot's not as good as me, right? And not you know. And so, transferring your skills from a producer to a manager is often hard. I mean, think about think about the top, the iconic, immortal sports figures of our time: Wayne Gretzky, Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, or any of them coaches. Right? Mm -hmm. They were producer extraordinaire, but very few of them turn into good. Coaches or good managers, um, it's a, it's an opposing yeah. skill. So so for the people that can can make the shift. So I'll use a little bit more of an obscure reference, but um, Phil Jackson in basketball or Steve Kerr, who were actually very very good players producers, and they became good managers. You know, but that's that is a rare breed. That is a bit of a unicorn. So we can prepare them sure. to achieve their ultimate potential as a producer. Or, or make the, prepare them for the next level, level of management. But there will be, there will, there will be few if rare times when a manager can become equally as good as a producer and a producer equally as good as a manager. That would be the one warning area that I would, I would be cautious about.
2: Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the leadership junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cardaveracom confident to find out more. See you on the inside. welcome back.
1: I think there's another piece to add here about, and maybe it's just some words. I I was on, probably a month ago, had this conversation with a guy who had stepped into a senior global leadership role with an organization. And he said, when I took that job, I felt very unqualified. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. a lack of confidence. It's because the truth is he'd never done that job. So I would argue that we want to prepare people for potential qualification, but oh, sure. The point, I guess what I'm getting at is most people are not actually qualified for the job when they step up. Because I they would agree been doing with that. that job. And it, yeah. it doesn't mean we don't prepare them. But how often do we wait too long or we don't think about, for example, this is what you were talking about, Carl. We've prepared how often do we actually prepare people for the job they're not doing? Do right. We focus so much energy on making them better at what they're doing now. And then all of a sudden, whether it's going to manager or whatever, they're going to step up and they really don't have those skills or experience. And my friend actually said, he said, well, the, the benefit was I had done a lot of different things. It turned out those things prepared me for that job. But they said it was definitely not laid out for me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as, yeah. As a, um, I'm a big fan of, of laying out the organizational chart. Showing every employee where they are in that chart and saying, "Here," and just taking a highlighter and saying, "Here are a few paths you can take in our company." And at every level, here's what their pre-qualifications are. Here's what certain achievements you need to have, certain skills, certain certifications or license licenses. And we'll help you get there. We want you to go to this to that next level, and we'll show you the path to get there.
1: One thing I like about that, Carl, is you're showing them multiple paths. I think I think right. sometimes organizations get locked into this is the path. And not only does it not work, but they end up with the wrong people in the wrong roles because they had someone who decided <laughs> yes. 10 years ago that worked well for that person. That was the natural path. And I, I often wonder about larger organizations where you sort of say, well, the natural progression is this. And I go, what do you mean a natural progression? That assumes everybody's the same. <laughs> How can it be a natural progression? <laughs>
2: Well, you also have the hops, you know, you, you're, you're coming up in the sales area and maybe you decide you really like finance and you hop over into the finance area. If you have those skills, or you may even take a step back to, to advance in that, in that realm. Yeah. Cause that person might have some great attributes that if you nurture those attributes,
0: we had a, we had a client that owned a very large department store <laughs> and their head of sale, the sales team leader. Um, she was very good. She was very, confident, competent, and she ran a great team, but she was at her, her superpower, (coughs) pardon me, was how creative she was. Mm -hmm. And, and she goes, you know, at one time we, you know, we said to her, like, we said, you know, you're really good in sales. I said, I think you'd be amazing in marketing. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, you know, I never wanted to say that, but I think I really would like that. And she stepped, hopped over to the marketing side, elevated one of her Uh, One of her team to sales manager, and she's been the marketing manager ever since. And the the
2: business has been better for it. That's great. Yeah, I see. Oftentimes people can pick out, oh, you know what, you would be great in sales. Have you ever, you know, and trying that, it it seems to be a little bit more obvious (laughs) to see see those skills, the people skills that come out and so forth, versus some of the other ones. But it's great that you were able to recognize the creativity and some of the some of the other skills there. Yeah, one of my favorite examples of this is, we have uh, a client that's a construction management firm.
0: And um, they were struggling to get project managers. No project manager, you know, typically goes to school for it, they have a good knowledge of construction, they have to have good organizational skills and, and they have to know what good looks like or the build, you know, you know, to make sure the building gets done on time. Well, they were really stretched. They couldn't find good project managers, and they were also hiring for the finance department. So one of the one of the people that <laughs> one of the people that applied for the job was going to be a controller. But he said on his resume that he's done a couple. He's he's you know has done a few fix and flips in on the side. And they said to him, "Well, listen. I know you're applying for the finance job, but would you mind for a period of time?" since you seem to have some real estate experience, they're like, listen, I flipped a couple of houses. You want me to build a school? (laughs) Totally different thing. They're like, and so they kind of talked him into it and said, could we put you on this project until we fill the slot? And he's like, yeah, I'm willing to do that. Happy to do it. And I do have some knowledge in that area. He said, well, that was our best run job. It was (laughs) the most organized, came in on time, on budget. The controller actually really enjoyed it. And so they kept him in that job. And and so one day my client comes back to me, he says, I'm never hiring another project manager again. And if you go to his website, he's got eight project managers, five of them are accountants. Wow. And he says, if you and 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 what they told him is go to the job, look, you know what the job's supposed to look like, who's supposed to be on the job with what materials working on what? If you get a question that's over your head, we have a project executive. So they put like a they hired one project executive, they keep him in the uh, like a war room. And if you go, it's just like a beautiful <laughs> mind there's paper everywhere and all it is is all the plans for all the jobs Oh, you have a problem on you have a problem on job 1 they go over to the plans what's the problem they're showing doing a little video call they like, said this is it okay here's how you fix it they troubleshoot that happens a couple of times a day but for the most part it's mostly logistics wow. so somebody that had the really the core competency of a project manager but was just in the finance department and that's transformed
1: how they do construction management and project management now. Oh, and I think you point out with that, Carl, is, and we all see this, so many companies are locked into certain people fit a certain job. What did you say? (laughs) You, You talk about core competencies, but most of the time we're focused on job descriptions and we're focused on prior experience. And if they don't have prior experience and they don't fit the job description, we miss the opportunities. And I I love that that company said, we're not hiring any anymore. because so They went outside the norm and they said, let's focus on core competencies and bring and give them the tools to grow in that location versus someone who supposedly has those skill sets.
0: Yeah, I, you're right on because because the job description for a construction manager says must have, you know, experience on construction management software, must have built X amount of square footage, must have had this background, must have had this degree, right? So I went into my client and I said, all right, everyone, let's get everyone in the room. I drew a a little T chart down the middle of the flip chart. And I said, I drew a line and I said, I put a C, the letter C over the one column, and I put L over the other column. And I said, all right, let's, there's a third line. Tell me every reason why your construction job gets delayed. And we're populating the list, weather, permitting. Contractor doesn't show up. Something, a mistake on the job site. Wrong, wrong materials ship. Uh, we don't order in time. And then I said, okay, now make a put a C for construction. It's a construction related delay, or L, it's a logistics-related delay. And that's when it hit them. They're like, oh my God, 80% of our problem is logistics related. 20% is our construction. And I said, look at your job description. It's 100% construction. Hmm. So you're hiring construction people to fix a logistics problem. You don't even have the true personality of that job written out. Hmm. And good so that's point. when we made the decision let's try. They're like, we got this guy. He looks pretty good. He's a controller. He's got some real estate experience. I'm like, he's an accountant, right? Guess what accountants are great at? The right number goes in the right box or they don't go anywhere. <laughs> Everything balances at the end, right? So- That's what you want. That's basically what we're asking for. And so he transformed that job. It was, it was brilliant. So, so yeah, we understanding what the job actually entails, not just what the traditional job description is to your point.
1: It sounds like one thing that you're doing with your clients, Carl, and helping other coaches do it with their clients is helping them to see scenarios differently, to, to do it differently, because You know, everything's going to, every unique case is going to have a different scenario, but so many leaders and business owners are trapped in either the way they've always known it, the way they've always seen it, or the way they've always understood it, which could be all three different messages. So, talk about how important it is for business owners who want to grow, because you're all about growth, to learn to see things and scenarios differently.
0: Yeah. So, we, um, in our model, there's four quadrants, right? There's the direction, which is the strategy of a business. There's the income, which is sales and marketing. You know, all the things that come into the business in sales and marketing, There's systems and there's controls. Every situation has a strength and a blind spot. And when we train coaches, we tell them, I'm going to take you from zero to brilliant as a coach in four questions or less. And they'll say, all right, well, what do you mean by that? I said, so if you look at the quadrants, the the diagonal opposite blind spot quadrant for strategy is process.
2: <laughs> strategy is about the
0: end game, process is the Achilles heel.
2: Yep.
0: Process is the strength, then getting the end result is the Achilles heel. If if I'm in sales and marketing and building relationships, then finance and details are my Achilles heel. If I'm in finance and and compliance and risk management, building relationships sales and marketing to your point earlier, is as the Achilles heel. So if I'm in any scenario, I want you to see it differently. So you come running in the door, you're the sales manager and you're like, awesome. I just bought in the, I reeled a whale into the boat. Great. What's our gross margin? Oh, this got to be profitable. Is this (laughs) sinking the boat or is it feeding the whole village? Right? So let's have the, thank you. Celebrate the heck out of a great job. Way to reel them in. Now let's go to the diagonal opposite quadrant. And I need to ask you four questions about finance. One, can we afford it? Two, what's the payment terms? Three, you know, can, you know, do we, ha- you know, how's this going to impact operations? Three or four, are we profitable? Right. And if you can't answer those, we've got to go back to that proposal, make sure we reeled in the right whale. So we say to coaches, whenever your client comes in and, and, and talks about an area of focus or, or an er- area of focus or, um, a task or an achievement or whatever, we say, that's great. Celebrate with them. Then ask them four questions in the diagonal opposite quadrant to make sure that their blind spot didn't didn't in any way compromise the situation. You get through those four questions, you're probably
1: good. What I love about that, Carl, and as a coach myself is uh, too often, even coaches don't understand that the the power is in the questions. And Mm -hmm. I'm hearing you connecting two beautiful dots here. One is the questions are what help people see things differently and using the questions to find the blind spots. Because the blind spots are always there. That's the given. They're just, some people assume they don't have them, unfortunately. There, too many right. leaders say, I know all my blind spots. It's awesome. Well, okay, <laughs> okay there's at least one then. <laughs>
0: That's so right. Lying you know to all. oneself, right? Right.
1: <laughs> so talk more about that. The you, you keep coming back to blind spots in question. It seems like That's the core of the work you're doing with your businesses and the training with the coaches. At the end of the
0: day, we as coaches, our job, or one of our main jobs, is to continuously help our clients understand where their limit of their defined identity is and expand that identity identity equal or faster than their their trajectory of growth. Because if the person ever grows up, catches the vision – he, you know, a man without a vision perishes. When we see people sabotage themselves, when we see people retire, then die within a year, they have, they have outgrown their vision for their life, for their leadership or their business. Mm. And that is in your central nervous system. And the way that you attach goals, the day you catch your goals is the day in your mind, you're dead. And so we have to continuously help them expand their goals. I always tell my client. I always tell my advisors on our team, seven stage advisors. I say, guys, at the end of the day, we're like Google. They're like, what do you mean? I said, as long as as Google stays one step ahead of of people searching, they'll always have a job. But the day the marketers catch Google, Google's out of business. So the day that our clients catch us, they now outrank us. If we don't, if we're not questioning them to the next level, and they catch us, they now outrank us we're done. And so we always have to be asking that question because the blind spot, um, the way we operate as humans is we are continuously, it's a directional game. We are moving towards our strength while simultaneously moving away from our weakness or blind spot, Hmm. right? We're going towards our comfort level. If we, if we don't bring our blind spots along with us and question those blind spots, we get we get stuck in a rut or a comfort level where we become that creature of habit or that old dog that doesn't know any new tricks or that person who becomes irrelevant right so think about this for a moment this is how I, this is one way you can i'll give you a quick and dirty uh, example if i gave you as my employee if i gave you a $5000 expense budget for something whatever it is to go out and spend during the course of the year and you spent all seven thousand five hundred of it. What would you say to me? All right? Well, what would the boss say to that person? I gave you five thousand. You overspent by two thousand five hundred. Would you, as the boss, likely question it?
2: Probably so.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Now you might. It might have been a great spend. You're like, you spent seven thousand five hundred. Can you please let me know why? And you're like, listen, I, you know, and and you'd be like, wow, that was amazing. Thank you. But you would certainly question it. If you were the boss and you gave someone else a $5,000
2: expense budget and they spent $1,000, would you question them? <laughs> Possibly, because Possibly. If, it may mean that you're not contributing enough to the to the business. Right. Or you saved us some magical amount of money or you figured out a better
0: way. But I want to know. Yeah. If yeah. I gave you five, if, if you were the boss and you gave a, an employee $5,000 expense budget and they spent $4,975
2: what would you say to them? Probably not much. But we Probably not should. much. <laughs> right. It gets worse. You probably wouldn't even look at the bill. Right. Huh.
0: So if I stole enough money and I stayed within your range where I know you don't question me, hmm. I could steal more money. But if I go out of my way, take personal initiative, overspend, even though if it's best for the company or underspend, you're going to interrogate me. So as, as your employee, what do you think I'm more, I'm more incentivized to do, take a chance and, and put some initiative out there or just keep my mouth shut. You know, don't make it be as discreet as possible and make sure that whatever you give me as an expense budget, I come in with a certain range.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. So not only does every leader have a range of what we call range of mismanagement, Mm -hmm. everybody on their team knows it also because they know what keeps you quiet. And they know what, when you start rattling cages. So business owners learn very quickly. Once I give them this demonstration, there's a full demonstration on this, but once I lay it out and I put numbers behind it to like, oh my goodness, you're absolutely right. That person could have closed that deal in that quarter, but if they did, they know darn well, I would have raised their minimum quota. That's why they delayed that damn thing. And it came in in, in the quarter game. next, yep. just in time for them to get their bonus, but just but long enough that I didn't raise their accountability. Huh. Yes. That's when they realize their sales team's stealing from them or their marketing team or their operation or their finance team. You know, wait a minute. Why did we not take that risk on that? Because you would have hung us if it didn't work out right. So we're not taking an initiative. You chopped our heads off last time. You think I'm going to do it again? <laughs> and you realize, oh my God, I have set up this system with my own team where they are managing my blind spot and I'm not managing it.
1: So if the leader doesn't manage it, your team will, 100%. Well, it sounds like, Carl, part of this, the leadership opportunity or responsibility is to be paying attention to these things, questioning even their own own vision on a regular basis, because they're likely, they've set this up. That's the thing I think leaders don't take responsibility for enough. When they see an issue with their team, they blame the team. (laughs) Instead of saying, how did I create this? I set this up. Because unless you have a sociopath on your team, which you might have from time yeah, to time, sure. but other than that, the leader set it up. The leader modeled it or the systems that the leader blessed were the creators of it. And so often, like people will say, "Why are, like your point earlier, why are my salespeople only selling the low margin, low cost items? Um, because they get paid the same way either way and because it's easier. Why would they do anything differently? You set up a system that said you get rewarded for selling this. That's right. Charlie Munger loves to
0: say, show me the behavior and I'll show you the incentive. Right. <laughs> and that's a brilliant way to look at it. And he's right. You know, all of a sudden, if you incentivize certain
1: activities, people start doing it. What do you know? So. Well, Car- Carl, there is so much in this and and, you know, and the reality of time is here. I think the of time is here. There's so much richness in the seven stages. We could probably do a show on every stage and every layer of the <laughs> stages. Uh, this has been so good. Uh, so many different um, wisdom bombs pulled out of this. A uh, couple things. We always want to give our guests a chance to highlight or promote something. So, what's that for you or seven stages?
0: Well, we um, uh, one of the, our one of our gives back to the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial community is and the leadership community is we do something called the free business analysis. And we will, it's a, it's totally free. It's up to a two hour session where we will uh, take you through a, uh, a growth workshop. Uh, It's a four page workshop and you'll leave with a plan for yourself and your business. If you'd like to take us up on it, that's of no charge, go to CarlGould.com or seven stage and just hit the contact page and you'll see the business analysis there. And you can hit us up on that. We do have an upcoming growth academy. We do it three times a year where um, you, you, you come in for an intensive training immersion, immersion experience. We have four training tracks to match the four structures of the business, uh, strategy, business development, operations, and finance. And depending on whatever your role in the business is, you could take that track or any other track for two days and you get two full days with all of our growth advisors working on that particular area of the business. So most people come and they bring a few people on their team and we'll whip them into shape for you.
1: Awesome. So you mentioned the two websites, Carl. What, what is the best way for people to connect with you? Is it the websites or somewhere else? Uh,
0: CarlGool.com uh, is the gateway to all the things that I do. Uh, my personal uh, w- website is Carl360.com. That's, the, that's an express right to me if you'd like to come straight to me, but just check out carl three hundred and sixty with C, C C-A-R-L, 360.com, and that's a good way to get me.
1: Wonderful. Well, and Carl, we we always wrap up with um, one of our signature questions, and the question I want to ask of you today is I want you to imagine that you get a chance to have dinner with someone living. Who are you going to have dinner with, and what's the one question you're going to ask them? Great question.
0: If, if I had to pick anybody, it would have been John F. Kennedy. And I would have asked them, how did he maintain his cool during the Cuban missile crisis? (laughs) When all people around him were telling him something that was their own agenda. Um, but I would, so somebody living now, somebody living now, that's a great question. I would, I would want to sit down with Joe Torrey, the, Mm. um, the manager of the New York Yankees, because, um, the, the New York Yankees, when they hired Joe Torre as their manager, he was nicknamed Clueless Joe and he was not successful as a coach before then. Um, but he seemed to maintain his cool in you know, the New York market with George Steinbrenner breathing down his throat all the time. So he managed up very well. He managed down very well um, and possibly Phil Jackson because he seemed to be a very good motivator and keep his cool as a coach, maybe not as a general manager, uh, mm-hmm. but as a coach. Uh, so I'd want to sit down with them and I would ask them, how did you keep your cool and maintain perspective when you had varying agendas coming at you at all at the same time and you managed to, you you literally managed to your vision?
1: Oh, love that. Love, some great questions, some great examples, Carl. Thanks for bringing what you brought today and thanks for uh, all that you keep bringing to the world. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This has been a ton of fun.
0: I really appreciate it.
2: If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to Cartevera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said,